he's hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, no, but, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. Come. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Back with you on Friday nights. The Friday night lights are in the books, although we do have some unfinished business with some five teams remaining in state Final Four action. We'll tell you those scores in a moment. But we're back with Hacker After Dark now after the high school football season on Fridays. And we are glad you are heading into the weekend with us. Obviously, a ton of talk about the college football championship weekend that kicks off here in a matter of moments with what is potentially a playoff game in Las Vegas, right? The Pac-12 title game, Oregon and Washington. The winner more than likely in the college football playoff. Potentially the winning quarterback. Maybe the next Heisman Trophy winner, a lot on the line when Washington and Oregon kick it off here in about 10 minutes. We'll keep you updated. And then obviously all the games tomorrow from the Big Ten Championship to the Big 12 Championship to the SEC Championship. And then, of course, Florida State, Louisville. And could it potentially be Brock Glenn, the third string quarterback for Florida State? getting the start tomorrow night. We're going to talk a lot about that coming up in just a moment. And, of course, the Jaguars. No Jaguar football this weekend because Monday night football returns to Duval County for the first time since 2011. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL, Jacksonville and Cincinnati. And I've been asked a bunch, Hacker, are you going to do a fifth quarter after the game? Guys, do you honestly think that we would come on 1010XL in 92.5 FM from roughly 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. on Tuesday morning? Do you think that's in our DNA? Of course it is. You're darn right we're doing a fifth quarter. Tuesday morning, we'll be on two hours after the Jaguars and the Bengals go final. So please, please, Jaguars, give us a victory to talk about at 1.30 in the morning, Tuesday morning, following Monday Night Football, because we will be here with you for the fifth quarter on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Guest lineup looks like this. We're less than 15 minutes away from former Jaguar defensive back Aaron Beasley. I want to talk with Aaron Beasley about Monday Night Football, about the 2023 Jaguars, about his former teammate Fred Taylor, once again, making the cut into the semifinal list for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So one of the best defensive backs to ever wear. A Jaguar uniform, Aaron Beasley, comes up in less than 15 minutes. And we'll crunch the numbers with my guy Ben Lindsay of Pro Football Focus. You guys know I love PFF.com. We'll talk Jags, Bengals, a little AFC South, and more with the boys of PFF coming up in about 35 minutes. But as we do every night to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night, and Dylan 
Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, a couple of big deals of the night. Let me begin with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, I've been thinking all week, and maybe it's because it's the way I've been programmed, being a media member and living in this community for going on now 28 years. Could this be a letdown game for Jacksonville? Could Cincinnati circle the wagons? They're a good football team. Obviously, there is no Joe Burrow, but they're still a good football team. I was a little nervous all week thinking about this game on Monday night. And then driving in about 30 minutes ago, I had a calm come over me. Because I had this thought, and I think it's the thought that we need to go into the game with on Monday. Of course, if you want the Jags to win. It's the first Monday night football game at home in 12 years. They're playing a backup quarterback that is making his second career NFL start and his first career NFL start on the road. You're coming off back-to-back division wins where your offense maybe had its best production of the entire year. This is not the same old Jacksonville Jaguars that we're used to. And if we believe the Jaguars are who we believe they are, they should not have any trouble on Monday night against Jake Browning and a wounded Cincinnati Bengal team. You're not playing the logo. You're not playing the Bengals of 2020 or 2021 or 2022. You're playing this year's Cincinnati Bengals that are minus Joe Burrow, that are five and six on the year, that lost to the Tennessee Titans 27 to three when they had Joe Burrow. If the Jaguars are who we believe them to be, this should not be a problem on Monday night. And for that reason, I'll take the Jaguars and I'll take them by two, two possessions, 10 plus. If you want to score, I'll say Jacksonville 27, Cincinnati 13. Jaguars need to win this. Home game, Monday night football, first time in a dozen years against a team you are clearly better than and against a team where you are playing for a lot more than they are. Go win the game on Monday night. And I believe the Jaguars will. The other big deal of the night is championship weekend in college football. What is going to happen? It's fitting that the last year of the four-team playoff looks like we're going to get a little chaos. It begins tonight. Washington, Oregon, Pac-12 championship out in Vegas. Well, you want to talk about one of the greatest comebacks in the history of college football? What about the story of Bo Nix? That guy at times was awful at Auburn. Awful. Do you remember when he brought Auburn into the swamp and was just terrible? And now he might be the best quarterback in college football. He may win the Heisman Trophy at the University of Oregon. What a turnaround for Bo Nix. But they got to beat Washington tonight. Washington undefeated. If they win, they're obviously in the playoff. But we know how hard it is to beat a team twice. They already beat Oregon once. That was in Seattle. 
Can they do it again on a neutral site? We're going to find out with kickoff coming up here shortly. But that's the first domino to fall. I think if you want to avoid chaos and you want simple, you want Washington to win. Because if Washington wins, that's simple. They're undefeated. They're the Pac-12 champs. Great resume they're in. The first bit of chaos could begin if Oregon knocks them off tonight. And then tomorrow you have all sorts of ideas for chaos. What if Iowa beats Michigan? What, of course, if Alabama beats Georgia? That's the big one. And then that brings me to Florida State. They're already down Jordan Travis. Rumor has it they could potentially be down Tate Rodemaker. Are they going to win an ACC championship against a top 15 Louisville team? A Louisville team that's 10-2 and two on the year with their third string quarterback? Boy, if they do that, they absolutely deserve to be in the college football playoff. But as I told Rick, enjoy this because next year, all of these teams are in. No one's in a must-win situation. Think about it. 12 teams next year, Washington and Oregon would already be in. So tonight's game wouldn't be like a playoff game. Alabama, Georgia would both be in. So the SEC title game tomorrow wouldn't be essentially a playoff game. Michigan would already be in. So they wouldn't have to win the Big Ten title. Texas would already be in. So they wouldn't have to win the Big 12 title like they will have to tomorrow. And Florida State would already be in next year. And they wouldn't have to win the ACC title game like they will tomorrow. So I love college football playoff expansion. I love the fact that more teams are going to get in. But one thing that it will do in regards to championship weekend is it could potentially water it down a little bit. Championship games tomorrow are going to mean a lot more than championship conference games will moving forward with the playoff field expanded. So enjoy it. I personally hope we get some chaos. I think it'd be great for the four-team playoff to go out with a little bit of chaos, and we'll see what happens beginning tonight out in Vegas with that Pac-12 championship game. We got a lot to do. More in the world of college football coming up in just a moment. Aaron Beasley, former Jaguar defensive back, coming up in just a moment. Let me update you on some scores. High school football, we have five teams remaining tonight. Great start for Trinity Christian in a state semifinal against Clearwater Central. Trinity made that trip down there. Trinity, 14-0 over Clearwater Central that game in the second quarter. Pensacola Catholic has scored. They lead Bradford 7-0 in the second quarter. Remember the Tornadoes out there at Bradford County, undefeated, a perfect 13-0 coming into tonight. But they find themselves trailing 7-0 right now to Pensacola Catholic. Miami Norlin against Bowles. That Miami Norlin team has 15 guys that have Division I offers. 15. Right now, Norlin up 7-0 on the Bowles Bulldogs. You can hear that game on 10-10 a.m. Mandarin is on the board. They trail Monarch 7-6 out of Coconut Creek. That's in the uh, second quarter. In the last score I had, Denmark, I don't Yeah, there it is. St. Augustine still leads Fort Myers Dunbar 7-0 that game in the second quarter. So right now, St. Augustine is winning. Trinity Christian is winning. Teams that are losing. Bowles is down a touchdown. Bradford is down a touchdown. And Mandarin is down a point. 
7-6 in the second quarter. We will keep you updated. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk Bengals. Let's talk Monday Night Football with a guy that did it for many years here in Jacksonville. Former Jags DB Aaron Beasley joins me next on a Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Bengals next Monday. Monday Night Football returns to Jacksonville for the first time in 12 years. The Jaguars now sitting at 8-3 and three on the year. Let's talk to a man that knows a little bit about playing Monday Night Football here in Duval County. He was on those great Jaguar teams in the late 90s. That is one of the best DBs to ever play in a Jaguar uniform, Aaron Beasley, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Aaron, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for propping me up so much. Hey, you deserve <laughs> it, man. You are the best DB that I ever saw in the late 90s, early 2000s for the Jaguars, no question about that. Aaron, you and I haven't talked since the season started, man. Eight and three, obviously first place in the division. Just your thoughts as a whole, what you've seen from the Jaguars to this point. Um, being in a great position at this point in the season, first and foremost, is uh, great for the energy of the, the team. I mean, you come in there every day and you're you're focused on the next opponent, but it goes to another level because you also can see the playoffs and, and you know you want to be playing your best ball at this time. So, I mean, we had a couple of uh, hiccups, but, I mean, I feel like when you come out of the hiccup and win two straight like we did, um, I feel like you you forgot about that and you, you moved on, which is the best thing in football. Play The next play is the most important. You know, to that point, you mentioned the San Francisco game. Boy, the season could have gone one of two ways. I mean, when you take a beating like that on your home field, it could have spiraled out of control. But kudos to, I guess, the leadership of this team, right? I mean, Peterson and obviously Trevor Lawrence and everybody involved there to not let that happen and pick up a couple of big divisional wins here in the last two weeks. I mean, it, it is huge. I mean, you got a guy like Doug who's been to the promised land and, you know, you can tell that, uh, Trevor is the leader of this team, and he took it upon himself to bring energy into that to that facility after with that big loss. And you know, them them things happen, man. I mean, even even with us, I mean, we we lost to Tennessee uh, three times that year, but I mean, we still had to keep playing them. I mean, there's there's nothing you can do. You still got to keep playing the next game. And I feel like this team learned from last year about you know, being more decisive in the next game and just go. Like, we can't do nothing about the pass. Let's just go. Former Jaguar defensive back Aaron Beasley here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Aaron, since that San Francisco game, two games since, Tennessee and Houston, Trevor Lawrence has thrown for over 620 yards. Three touchdowns through the air, three touchdowns that he's ran for himself. I mean, the offense is flourishing and Zay Jones has come back. Zay Jones missed five games, and he's been back the last two games, not putting up big numbers. But is that a coincidence, or is there something to that, Aaron? When Zay Jones returns to the lineup, all of a sudden the offense is putting up big numbers. Well, when you have three good or great receivers, I mean, you your, your D-backs are stressed. I mean, you can't double everybody. I mean, you can't. And I feel like the confidence that 
that uh, Trevor has in Zay is just through the three years of them being together. I mean, they, I think Zay came in Trevor's first year, and they just have a comfort with each other. So, I mean, it's it's evident out there. Like Trevor is just throwing that ball. I'm I'm watching like across the league, just different podcasts, and and people are saying the same thing. Man, that ball comes out, and it like it's a blur. Like I was watching the game some highlights the other day and I'm like man you can't even see the ball get in there some of those throws so he's just playing at a a level that's I mean one of the best quarterbacks in the league and when you do have weapons like we have I mean you can't focus on one guy you can't focus on our receivers because our tight ends can get you you focus on our, 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 our running back I mean we're good with play action I mean we we have a great sort of weapons out there for Trevor. You know, anytime you talk, again, Aaron Beasley here with us, anytime you talk to some of your former peers in the league, former defensive backs, they always talk about Ridley and Kirk in particular and their route running. Speak on that, Aaron. I mean, how important is that? And is that the reason Ridley and Christian Kirk are as successful as they are is because of their route running? I think so. I mean, when I went to camp and saw Ridley working on some of his routes, I'm like, man, the, the precision that he runs them with and, and Kirk, they, they run their routes and there's no wasted motion. And what I see is like guys like that, the first five to 10 yards always looks the same, whether it's a run, whether it's a pass. So you have to always be on point. And I mean, it's just, it's tough as a D back nowadays. I mean, you can't, you can't be as physical to set that, uh, you know, that mental part of the game where you're not going to cross this middle. Now guys cross that middle and not have as much fear. So, you, you know, you take a guy like Donovan Darius and you put him in today's game. I told him the other day, I was like, man, you would be fine so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, particularly but, uh, that Robert Ferguson hit at Lambeau Field. I'll oh, never forget man. that one. Yeah, that was, that was pretty ugly. I, I reminded him about that the other day too, man. But, I mean, but the thing is, I mean, we're playing, they're playing the game the way it is, and it it's, you know, they're taking advantage, and we have great route runners, and when you have three great route runners, tight ends that can run routes, I mean, and a, and a running back that's basically a receiver in a running back's body, I mean, weapons all over the field, you can't just key on one person. Former Jaguar defensive back Aaron Beasley. All right, Aaron, let's get to the defensive side of the ball, your specialty. Boy, Josh Allen was nothing short of a ferocious monster on Sunday. The dude has 12 sacks on the year. He just passed Ngakwe for second all-time in sacks for the Jaguars. He's 17 behind your former teammate, T. Brack, and who knows, maybe uh, you know next year, year after, he might pass him to get to number one all-time. Just your thoughts on Josh Allen and, and Trayvon Walker. and It certainly looks like the pass rush is improving every single week. Man, whatever Josh Allen did, because he didn't he didn't practice with the team in the in the off season. He went out there and got on some spiritual stuff, man. And it's sometimes that works, man, because you put so much pressure on yourself to be great. And I feel like he went somewhere and just got his mind free. And he's just out there. I mean, every play, he's, he's upfield. I wish we'd have had more sex, though. That scared me. You know, they stepped up in the pocket. We got to get some interior push-up in there so he can't just step up in there. But as far as, you know, the pressure, both guys are just, you know, it, it would be a pleasure to play for guys like that. I mean, I play for T- with T. Brack, but, I mean, you got both of these guys. I mean, you know the ball has to come out quick. 
And that's that's great for a D-back because we have a time clock in our head. You know, we have the three-step read, and then uh, we, we have a certain amount of – we call it 3-10-30. You got a three-step read. Then you got your five-step read, which is more like a 10-yard 10, 10 route or 12-yard route. Then you got your 30, which is like the deep balls. But we have a time clock too, just like the rhythm of the game. You know, you mentioned C.J. Stroud there and stepping up into the pocket. You had Steve McNair and Mark Brunell in the same division, not for a long time, but for a couple of years, and those were great matchups. But you look now, Aaron, Trevor Lawrence is 24. C.J. Stroud is 22. I mean, you're talking maybe the next decade plus, you could have Stroud v. Lawrence twice a year in the AFC South. I wouldn't even sleep on the other two young guys, Levis and Richardson. I mean, they loaded up this year in the division. So, I mean, that's the key to this game. I mean, you don't see too many teams nowadays winning without a great quarterback. So, uh, I feel like our division in the next four or five years is going to be it's going to be like how our AFC Central was. You never know who's going to win every game. It's just going to be competition every week, which is great for the game. Um I just I love it because it's going to make everybody step their game up, you know. So now Trevor knows <laughs> every week he has to be at his A plus, and that is great for the Jaguars. Final moments here with former Jaguar defensive back Aaron Beasley. He's with us here on Ten Ten XL in Jacksonville. Aaron Mike Caldwell, the Jaguar D coordinator. They've done a fantastic job. There were questions about this defense coming into the year. I'd say, with the exception of San Francisco and maybe the second half against Houston in week three. The other nine and a half games, they've been borderline fantastic. I mean, the defense as a whole, are you impressed with what you've seen? I love it. I mean, because, you know, sometimes we get so uh, captured into what the stats are looking like. I remember earlier in the year we were giving up pretty much uh, pretty, pretty many passing yards. But when I look at it, I look at it as, are we getting that ball back for our offense with that potent offense? And our defense early on was keeping us in the game and, and actually winning some games. And that's what you want. You want that good balance. Uh, you want to have both teams like in top 10 offense and defense. And I love what I see because we're flying to the ball. Uh, we look more comfortable in the defense because it's our second year. Um, people forget about it. I mean, we had a first year coordinator here. And he was getting used to the players, and now I feel like he's comfortable. Now I see more blitzing now. I mean, that's good, too. So I just feel like our team is well-balanced, offense, defense, our special teams. I would like to see Jamal break one. That would be a good, you know, get the three phases, get that special teams in there for a touchdown this week. Yeah, no question about it. Brandon McMahon is doing a good job in the kicking game as well. All right, Aaron, Monday night football, first time in 12 years that's crazy to think about but the first time in 12 years that Monday Night Football will be here in Jacksonville you obviously played in a bunch of Monday Night Football games during your career I heard Josh Allen in the postgame locker room on Sunday in Houston talking about he's never played on Monday Night Football Trevor Lawrence I mean a lot of these young guys have never played on Monday Night Football what will that experience be like for them and how like tempered do your enthusiasm have to be because we're still you know a few days out from that environment well it was a little different for me because I was a wild man out there and <laughs> sitting around sitting around waiting all day drove me crazy because you, you try to wait I mean you you watch all the games on Sunday uh you watch the Sunday night game and then you wake up you still got all day so 
I feel like the best thing to do is try to find something to do to just relax, you know, maybe play a little Xbox, stay in your room, chill out, uh, watch some little extra film, but you don't want to get too juiced up um, too early. Uh, you want to save that energy because, I mean, everybody's going to be watching. You know it, your family, and you're going to want to go out there. And you want to do make every play. But the whole concept of the team game is doing your job full speed. So, you know, you still got to stay within yourself. But just know the energy is going to be a little bit higher. <laughs> we obviously thought it was going to be Joe Burrow. It is not. It is Jake Browning. He's going to be making, I guess, what, his second career start now they got weapons right I mean Jamar Chase and yeah. Joe Mixon you know Boyd we'll see what Higgins status is as the week goes on but I think you got to be careful Aaron because everybody's going to pick Jacksonville because of no Joe Burrow but again the talent on that team it's a desperate Cincy team coming in at five and six they almost have to win on Monday night Jaguars to me need to be a little bit careful in this one I agree uh this is one of those setup games you know they everybody knows Burrow's not here but like you said, they have weapons, and this is the NFL. This guy wouldn't be playing in the NFL if he wasn't good enough. So, um, like like you said, though, they have to just come out and put their foot on their neck right away. You know, the defense has to come out, get get some pressure, have the quarterback thinking the whole game, uh, because you know when you got a younger quarterback, they don't see the amount of disguise. So we got to be good, making him read on the run in his in his drops. Um, offense, just make your plays. I mean, they they gave up 400 yards to Pittsburgh, which Pittsburgh hasn't had 400 yards in 50 some weeks. I mean, we gotta we gotta take advantage of that. You know, we gotta we gotta score when we need to, and just play our game. I mean, when when we play our game, it starts early. You know, we're in rhythm. You know, the ball's coming out early. You saw that the last two games. When we're not in rhythm, we do San Fran stuff. You know, first play, we got a screen, the guy's blocking. You know, so. We just got to keep our heads, stay focused, and, you know, let, let the best man win, and we should win. Aaron, as we wrap up, from a defensive point of view, knowing you have a backup quarterback, does that get frustrating? I mean, you don't want to bury the kid if he doesn't do well, but there was some talk from Cincinnati media that some of the defensive guys were a little frustrated in the postgame locker room. They they held Pittsburgh to 16. They gave up a lot of yards, but they only scored 16 but since he really couldn't do anything with the backup quarterback, if you're on the Cincy defense, how? I mean, what's the fine line between being a good teammate and trying not to get frustrated knowing you have a backup quarterback in there? I mean, it's part of the game. I mean, you just have to go do your job. Like, I never really focus on what the other side was doing because if we do our job, keep ourselves in the game, we give ourselves a chance, that's all you can do. Uh I, I mean, we, we, Mark Brunel got hurt a couple times, but you know, was, you just got to pick your game up and, and do things and make plays. Try to find a way that you can change the game um, within your within yourself. I'll never forget Steve Matthews coming in and putting a forty spot on the New York Giants in one of those games that Mark Brunel missed. I think that was back in nineteen ninety seven. Aaron, leave us with this: your former teammate earlier this week, Fred Taylor named to the semifinal list for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Again, he's one of the final 25 they will consider. Uh, he needs to be in the 15 this year. He needs to be in the finals. I think it's lunacy that he hasn't gotten in that room yet to at least be discussed by the voters. But you got to be happy for your guy Fred to once again be a semifinalist. Man, Fred is the best running back I've ever seen play. Besides Barry. But, but Barry is Barry. But I, I say it like this, man. I mean, when you look at Fred – 
he has the numbers. Uh, you you got to take the injuries out of there because he even has the numbers with the injuries. And then when I look at Fred, I think he passes that eye test. When you see his highlights and some of the things he's done, I mean, he made it look so easy. But we went against some of the best defenses in football when he was playing. Uh, the, the Titans had their defense. The Ravens had their defense. And he was – Pittsburgh, he was still putting up these numbers. And, I mean, we, we had a great, great run, and it was mostly because of Fred because he opened it up for Jimmy, opened up for Keenan. Kyle even – Kyle Brady became a pass-catching tight end before pass-catching tight ends were in. And, I mean, he just opened it up for everybody because you got to have an extra man in the box because if you don't, he'll carve you up. Former Jaguar defensive back Aaron Beasley, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Aaron, I know you're busy, man. Really appreciate the time. Let's hope the Jaguars go out there and get it done on Monday night, and we'll talk soon, my friend. Thank you. All right, man. No problem. Have a great day. There you go. Aaron Beasley here with us on 1010XL and 92.5 FM on Hacker After Dark. Back into the National Football League in one moment. Did want to update you on a couple of things. Five of our area high schools battling in the state final four tonight in St. John's County at the half. St. Augustine leads Fort Myers Dunbar 14 to 6. St. Augustine is a perfect 12 and 0 on the year. They're looking to get one more to advance to the state championship game next week. They're up 14 6 on Fort Myers Dunbar. Bradford County's got some work to do in the second half. They trail Pensacola Catholic 14 0 at halftime. Bowls, likewise, a game on 10-10 a.m. They're going to have some work to do. They trail Miami-Norland 14-0 in the second quarter. Mandarin has taken the lead on Coconut Creek Monarch. Mandarin, who has won three consecutive road games, all in Orlando against Winter Park, Lake Mary, and Sanford Seminole. They had to go even farther south tonight to Coconut Creek. They lead Monarch. That's Calvin Ridley's alma mater, 9-7 in the second quarter. And Trinity Christian, it's looking very good for Verlin Dormany and the Conquerors right now. They lead Clearwater Central 20-7 to in the second quarter. Again, all the winners from tonight will advance to their respective classifications, state championship games next week. The Pac-12 championship is underway out in Las Vegas. Washington, an early field goal. They lead Oregon 3-0 more than midway through the opening quarter. We'll keep you updated on all that. Back into the NFL, let's crunch the numbers. You guys know that I love PFF, a little pro football focus. One of my guys at PFF is Ben Lindsay. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk Bengals. But let's also look around the AFC South, and let's talk AFC playoffs as a whole. Ben Lindsay, PFF.com, next on Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Bengals, Monday night at Everbank Stadium. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL as for the first time in 12 years, Monday night football returns to Duval County. With that, we welcome in my friend Ben Lindsay of Pro Football Focus. You guys know I love PFF, and we're going to break down the Jags, Bengals, and take a look around the entirety of the National Football League. Ben, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's good to be on. Hey, Ben, always appreciate the time. Know you're busy this time of year. 
And all right, man, you and I haven't talked since the preseason, so obviously 11 games in for the Jaguars. Just your thoughts, 8-3, and three, kind of where they sit, how they've looked 11 games into the year. Yeah, I mean, it's, too, it's, it's hard to complain about 8-3 and three and where they're sitting right now. Big win over Houston last week. I think the thing I've been most surprised with Jacksonville this year is, is kind of how well their defense has played. I know they had some younger pieces, and some of those guys have come on, Devin Lloyd, right, some of the corners. Um, and that unit has really kind of helped them get to where they are while the offense has, has kind of tried to figure things out. Lawrence is playing really well. Um, but in general, I think it's it's been kind of surprising to see the defense uh, play the way they have and the offense kind of kind of have some some growing pains this year. Yeah, you know, to that point, I want to focus on the defense in a moment. First to Trevor and the offense, it's interesting, Ben. They struggled, quite frankly, up until about the last couple of weeks, you could argue. And then after that San Francisco game, I don't know what's happened other than Zay Jones has come back in the lineup, and he's not – necessarily catching a lot of balls but maybe it's his presence out there but they've looked like a much different offense and wins over Tennessee and last week over Houston as Trevor Lawrence has thrown for over 620 yards in those two games yeah Doug Peterson I think two weeks ago kind of made comments about uh, Jacksonville needing to be more intentional about about taking some shots right and trying to get the ball downfield and I think that you've seen the last two weeks uh, two of Trevor Lawrence's three highest average depth of target games have been against Tennessee and then last week against Houston. So they are starting to push the ball downfield a little bit, and I think that's going to open up the rest of the offense uh, because without a run game that's been super effective, right, and if you're, you're trying to just move the ball downfield with the quick rhythm passing game, that's something that Lawrence does really well, but it's also easier for defenses to sort of sit on routes um, and, and – try to take that stuff away if they're not really afraid of you going over their heads. Ben Lindsay of Pro Football Focus here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ben, you talk about distributing the football. Last week against Houston, six guys had at least 30 yards receiving, which is just nuts to think about. And also along those lines, uh, you got Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram are all 47 catches or more through 11 games. So, obviously, they maybe don't have that wide receiver one still, but Lawrence is getting it to all his weapons, using them very, very well. Yeah, it's a balanced offense with, with a lot of different options. and That was the case last year, too, even without Ridley. And it's part of the reason that they had so much success against man coverages is there's, there's a lot of different outlets for Lawrence to get the ball, and they do a good job out of bunches and, and different things to get those guys free. Um, and it's it's really tough for defenses to deal with when you've got guys like like Kirk who can win vertically from the slot. He can win on on quick outs. Ingram, you can move around the formation, right? He has over a hundred snaps in line, wide slot, and then Ridley, who's yeah, he's he's had some disappointing moments, especially early in the year, but he can still win as a route runner at all three levels. So it's it's a good group uh, for for Lawrence to get the ball out to. You guys are all about the numbers at PFF, no question about it. As far as the offensive line goes, they were awful against San Francisco. I think they'll they'll even admit they were awful. Um, but then again, Tennessee, a decent D-line. Houston, a decent D-line. Maybe the O-line's best two games here in Jacksonville. Now they had the issue with Cam Robinson getting hurt and going on short-term IR. But again, kudos to Trent Balky. He goes out and gets Ezra Cleveland at the trade deadline 
And last week, you slide Little out to left tackle. You put Cleveland in at left guard. And, Ben, it didn't look like they missed a beat. No, and the Cleveland addition is big, right? Left guard had been an issue for them. And Cleveland's a guy who was playing really well in Minnesota uh, prior to to that trade. I, I think it was just a, a deal where I think his contract's up at the end of this year. They, they wanted to get something for him. But Cleveland really solidifies that left guard spot. And Little has actually graded better for us at left tackle than he had at left guard this year. Uh, the offensive line in general, I think, is, has done a pretty good job in pass pro. It's, it's been more the run game that's been the issue for them in terms of, of run blocking. Ben Lindsay of Pro Football Focus here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville, the Jaguars and the Bengals Monday night at Everbank Stadium. To the defensive side of the ball, Ben, it's a contract year for Josh Allen, and he is going to get paid. That guy was a ferocious monster last week in the fourth quarter against Houston, and he's been one of the best defensive uh, players, pass rushers, in the NFL the entire year. Yeah, and he's, he's got a matchup on Monday against Orlando Brown that, yes, Brown, they, he got a lot of money this offseason. Cincinnati brought him in to, to shore up that left tackle spot. But he's been beatable, especially the last five, six weeks, one of the higher pressure rates allowed at the position. And like you said, Allen's, Allen's been on a tear. He, he's been comfortably their best pass rusher, one of the best all-around edge defenders in the NFL. And that's a, a matchup, especially with Browning at quarterback, or right? you don't have Burrow back there to, to sort of protect the O-line like he was earlier in the year. That's a matchup that Allen has, has a good chance to add to his sack total on Monday. You know, the casual NFL fan will tell you that Aiden Hutchinson's a better player than Trayvon Walker, and they're not wrong. Aiden Hutchinson, I would say, is better than Trayvon Walker. But I would pump the brakes a little bit on how much better. Trayvon Walker, to me, Ben, is improving every week. You saw it last week against Houston. And if you were to black out the numbers, right, just put two guys side-by-side, sacks, tackles for loss, um, tackles in general, uh, these different variables that we grade guys on, boy, it's a lot closer between Hutchinson and Walker than I think most people would believe. What's your thought on Trayvon Walker? Yeah, I, I think Hutchinson is, has been the better player in the NFL, but Walker was always a, a guy who it was probably going to take a little bit longer. He, he wasn't as sort of polished as Hutchinson coming out of Michigan when he came out of Georgia. And you've seen flashes for, for sure. His, his ability to, to kind of push the pocket um, and his, his size, his athleticism, that, that's all there, right? So I, I think it's – it's too early to, to write him off as a bust, even if the numbers haven't been quite as good as Hutchinson to this point in their careers. You know, you mentioned a couple of linebackers, Oluwakin and Devin Lloyd. Again, you guys are the numbers guys, and that's why I love PFF. But when I'm watching these two guys on Sunday, Ben, 23 and 33 seemingly are all over the place. Are they playing as good as it appears from the eye test? Yeah, it's been one of the best linebacker duos in the, the league this season. Right. That's that's an area Lukin has, has always he's been making plays the last few years. I think he's he's even elevated this year from what you saw at the end of his time in Atlanta and last year in Jacksonville. And, and Lloyd has be, taken a, a big leap, both in the run game and in coverage. Right. Those guys rarely come off the field and they're they've been super productive. And it's a big part of, of why Jacksonville's defense has had the success that it has, right? They, they can add on as blitzers. You can trust them in, in sort of different roles and coverage. 
Um, and they've been they've been massive for that that group on defense. And the secondary too. I mean, Tyson Campbell's had some injury problems, but Darius Williams has been nothing short of phenomenal. And I love what I've seen out of Cisco, Jenkins, and even Wingard when they go in a three safety look. I mean, the secondary Ben to me has also played very well as of late. Yeah, and I, I think coverage has been the the big thing with their defense. They've been good against the run. Uh, a lot of that is is kind of scheme, right? They they're pretty high eight plus in the box team. They're in base defense a lot with four defensive backs on the field. But the coverage has has really impressed me. You mentioned Williams um, up there in terms of forced incompletions in the NFL. He's a smaller guy on the outside, but he plays the catch point really well. Cisco's a playmaker on the back end. They're getting the best play they've got out of Trey Herndon uh, sort of throughout his career. So it's it's been an impressive group in coverage. And when you can hold up on the back end like they've been able to, that gives time to guys like Josh Allen and, and the rest of that pass rush group to get home. And I think you've seen that in, in some of their pressure numbers. A couple of more for Ben Lindsay of Pro Football Focus, PFF.com. Ben, Cincinnati comes in here on Monday Let's talk about Jake Browning. Obviously, the loss of Burrow was massive. A lot of Jaguar fans have never seen Jake Browning. I remember him up at the University of Washington. Watched a little bit of him last week, his first start against Pittsburgh. What kind of quarterback is he, and what challenges could he present for the Jaguar defense? Yeah, he's He's got some mobility, and I think you've seen that the last couple of weeks when he came in against Baltimore and then last week against Pittsburgh. Right, He, he can take off and scramble if you lose contain. I, I do think he relies on that a little bit too much. He's not He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Josh Allen. He's not any of those types of quarterbacks when it comes to mobility. He kind of plays like he is, like he can get out of some of those situations. And I think that's – I mentioned it with, with Allen kind of earlier in Brown – that's an issue when you're behind the Cincinnati offensive line that I think Burrow's done a really good job of making them them look a little bit better than they've been playing so far this year. And when you got Browning saying back there for three plus seconds, it's it's gonna he's gonna have some issues against this Jacksonville pass rush. Um, but he, he will make some plays with his legs on sort of the flip side of that. As far as the Jaguar offense, Ben, against the Cincinnati defense, talking to folks up in Cincinnati, they don't like playing rookies, but they have to with the departures of Von Bell and Jesse Bates, and they got some youngsters in that secondary that might be able to be taken advantage of. Yeah, Jordan Battle's come come in at safety the last couple of weeks for Nick Scott. He's played pretty well, but in general, this has been a Bengals defense that has given up way too many big plays. Uh, they're, they're towards the top of the league in gains of 20-plus yards allowed. They haven't really been able to stop the run. You, you go back to that Pittsburgh game, Najee Harris had one of the better games of his career against this Bengals run defense. That has kind of been a consistent theme throughout the season. So when you're not stopping, up, when you're not stopping the run, when you're giving up a ton of big plays, it's been a disappointing year for them. I think they miss Jesse Bates and Von Bell, those two guys you called out. I think they miss um, some some of the corners that have sort of been cycling out with injury the last few weeks. Um, so it's been a tough year for them uh, on that side of the ball. Final moments, Ben Lindsay, pro football focus. Ben, what's spread out a little bit into the division, uh, I was not – as high on Houston going into last week as they were nationally. I thought they were getting a lot of national love. I kind of understand why now in watching them last week. That is a good football team. That's why I think the Jaguar win out there was just enormous. I'm not sure, quite frankly, how many more games Houston is going to lose. I really like Stroud. They, they got something out there, right? Yeah, no, it's there's going to be a lot of 
a lot of interesting battles between Stroud and Lawrence the next couple of years. Um, it's, I, I don't think anyone really expected this with Stroud coming out of Ohio state. He showed flashes in that Georgia game of what he could do sort of outside of structure. And that's carried over to the NFL. And then you put him in that, that sort of Shanahan tree offense with Bobby Slowick at offensive coordinator. And, and they've been really impressive, uh, especially passing the ball. Uh, to to their young receivers, Tank Dell and Nico Collins, they've they've got a nice foundation there to to continue to build on uh, over the next couple of years. How does somebody like Tank Dell fall in the draft? How did that happen? Size, I, I think it's size, and you're really seeing more of these smaller receivers. It's just easier for them to have success in in this version of the modern NFL. And Dell, he was this player at Houston, right? He, he he's a good route runner. He's fast. Uh, good body control. It was just he, you're, you have issues putting a guy like that on the outsides or on the outside at his size. There's just not a lot of precedent for it, and he's showing in the NFL that right. It, it doesn't really matter. He can still still be one of the more efficient receivers in the league, like he's been this year. Not just rookies, just just wide receivers in general. Ben, before we get out of here, the Colts and the Titans play each other on Sunday, which will be kind of nice. Jaguar fans can watch that game getting ready for Monday night. Uh, first uh, to Indianapolis, well, give Shane Steichen credit. That team is 6-3 and three against teams not named Jacksonville, and they've beat some good football teams with a backup quarterback for the most part in Gardner Minshew. And if the playoffs started today, I believe Indianapolis is in. I mean, Steichen needs to be in the running for coach of the year at this point. Yeah, it's they've they've been one of the bigger overachievers in the NFL this year, and I think Steichen's a big part of it. You saw him his final or Justin Herbert's rookie year, right? He was in LA, then he goes to Philly and, and kind of turns that offense around with Jalen Hurts, and he's he's doing similar things in Indianapolis this year. Anthony Richardson goes down; they're still competitive with Gardner Minshew. I think he's he's one of the better offensive play callers in the league. And they've overachieved on defense too. Uh, they've been a, a team that has has been more competitive than sort of the talent level on their roster would lead you to believe. It's a small sample size, but do you believe Will Levis is the future in Nashville? I don't know if he's the future, but I think you have to at least uh, at least see next year what you have in him. Uh, that situation behind that offensive line is really rough. That that line is is bad. And Levis is a pocket passer, right? He's a guy who's going to stand in there and deliver balls. Uh, he has some athleticism to get out of the pocket. He just doesn't – that's not his game. Um, but I, I think he's shown that that game against Pittsburgh on Thursday night, right, he was delivering accurate passes with guys on top of him. There's been some, some shaky moments since. Um, I don't know if he's the guy, but I think Tennessee has to at least see what they have in him uh, next year. Ben, final question. It's a battle royal atop the AFC, right? Baltimore at nine and three, and then you got the Dolphins, the Chiefs, and the Jaguars all at eight and three, and, and they're all fighting for that positioning. Although, heck, in Jacksonville's case, they're six and zero oh away from home this year. I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to have home field advantage, but good grief, they haven't lost a game outside of Duval County. Uh, how do you think that shakes out when all said and done, and you know the postseason arrives here in a month, month and a half? between the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Jaguars, and the Dolphins? It's it's tighter than it has been the last few years, but I, I still think that you have to kind of side with the Chiefs are going to figure it out. 
because of of Mahomes and what he's been able to show. The the wide receiver situation in Kansas City has been rough, and I think you're you're seeing some. They're trying to figure things out. It's an offense that has already evolved a, a couple times in the last few years, and it's it's doing so again. Um, but you have Mahomes. You have a defense that is honestly one of the best defenses they've had since he got there, uh, a top five defense in the NFL with the way they're playing right now. Um, so I think they're still the favorite. They're, they're still the team to beat at the top of the AFC. Ben Wenzi, Pro Football Focus, PFF.com. We absolutely love it, and we love having Ben on here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Ben, like I said, man, know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time. We'll do it again soon. Anytime. Appreciate it, man. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Nine o'clock hour has arrived. Hacker After Dark will take you up till 10 o'clock tonight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Coming up at the bottom of the nine o'clock hour, Logan Robinson, one of my guys in Tallahassee. In fact, he's actually up in Charlotte right now getting ready for the ACC championship game. He is the founder of Knoll Game Day, which is powered by Sports Illustrated. We'll preview Florida State and Louisville coming up tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com talking Jags and Bengals. To update you on the high school scores involving area teams, state final four action for all five of these teams in their given classifications. St. Augustine has scored a touchdown. They're now up 21-6 on Fort Myers Dunbar in the third quarter. Pensacola Catholic continues to lead Bradford County 14-0 that game in the third quarter. Trinity Christian down in Clearwater still holds a six-point lead, 20-14. Late in the third, Miami Norlin leading the Bulls Bulldogs 14-0. That Miami Norlin team is ranked in the top 15 in America. They're up by two touchdowns on Bulls at halftime. And Mandarin, a defensive battle against Coconut Creek Monarch. Mandarin looking for their fourth road win in a row. They lead Monarch 9-7 at halftime. As far as college football, Washington up 10-0 on Oregon. However, Oregon is uh, they lining up for a field goal here, Denmark. I know it's fourth down inside the Washington 20. So Oregon probably about to get on the scoreboard, but it's 10-0 Washington with about eight minutes to go in the second quarter. Coming up next, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Let's look at Jacksonville's first 11 games, and let's look ahead to Monday Night Football against Cincinnati and take a little look-see after Cincinnati, what lies ahead over the next month of the season. Brian Sexton next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, and we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars now 8-3 and three on the year after a good road division win in Houston, and one week from right now, Monday Night Football returns to Jacksonville for the first time in, golly, over a decade, I believe, when Cincinnati rolls in. With all that being said, Brian Sexton from Jaguars.com. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, hope your Thanksgiving was well, man. How are you? I'm good. It's been 12 years. The, uh, the last Monday Night Football appearance was Mel Tucker's first game as the interim head coach. Wow, yeah. It was the week that they announced Shad Khan was the prospective owner of the Jaguars, and it was the San Diego Chargers 
who rolled in here and rolled over the Jaguars that day. It was ugly. It was 38 to 14. But they played two games in 11, if you recall. It was Blaine Gabbert's rookie season, and Josh Scobie kicked four field goals in a Monday night game in which uh, the Jaguars won 12 to 7. And John Gruden famously called out Blaine Gabbert for his pocket presence, and everything seemed to go as- asunder from there. But it's been a long time. Jack Del was the head coach. Blaine Gabbert was a rookie. Shad Khan was just buying the team. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time since Monday Night Football has been here. It's what happens, though, when you got Doug Peterson, you got Trevor Lawrence. I mean, look, Brian, the last time you and I spoke was two weeks ago. At that point, the sky was falling, right? San Francisco 34-3, and people were panicking. But you and I said at the time, you beat Tennessee, you beat Houston, you take control of the division, and then the national folks will come back for Monday Night Football and lo and behold, that exact scenario played out. Two great wins by the Jaguars in the last two weeks. Yeah, you know, it, it was right after that 49ers game that the word focus was bandied about by a lot of different people. And with the result on the field, for good reason. You know, you get beat 34-3 to coming off your bye week in a game that everybody called a measuring stick game. Yeah, focus is just one thing that can be called into account. But you and I talked that day, and people in the building were talking. Win two games in the division. Go to 8-3, and three and you're right where you want to be. They've got this thing by the throat right now. All they have to do is take care of their business. They control their own destiny. And if they continue to do that, two things happen. One is you win the division title and you have a home playoff game. But if you knock off the Ravens, right, and keep winning, you could host the playoffs. You could, believe it or not, have a first-round bye, depending on how things go with Kansas City. So there's a lot of reasons to play well, and this team has found a renewed focus. This coach is very good at getting this team to perform, not just on the field, but on the practice field and in the classrooms. He has a very nice edge to him as a former player, as a Super Bowl-winning coach. And when he talked about focusing, when he urged his players to find a different level of focus, well, they've done it the last two weeks, and it's a good sign going forward. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, Trevor Lawrence, 620-plus yards passing over the last two wins. Your thoughts on his performance, and is it a coincidence that Zay Jones is back and the numbers are improving? What's your thought with that situation? No, I don't think it's a coincidence. I mean, there's just such a comfort level with Zay. But if you think like a basketball fan or a basketball coach, you know, you hear them talk about spacing so often, about creating shots by where guys are on the court. It's sort of the same thing in football. When Zay Jones is out there, you can't just throw a linebacker on him when he lines up as the second slot receiver. You've got to have a guy who is all about where is number seven. You've got to pay attention because – He's got that big speed. He can get down the field. So guess what happens? Your fastest corner has to know where he's at. Well, then who's going to cover Calvin Ridley? The spacing issue has been so beneficial for Ridley. And you saw him come to life yesterday in the second half. Five catches, right? But four of them were on the two drives that gave the Jaguars a 24-14 lead in the third quarter. It was great stuff. Zay Jones has a chemistry with the quarterback but he also spaces the field so that other guys can go and make plays. Who would have thought when they signed Zay Jones last spring, spring of 2022, that he would become the central figure in how everything just clicks, but he is. 
He is a terrific weapon and a really good teammate. Brian, yesterday the Jaguars had six guys that had 30 receiving yards or more. That's crazy, right? Six guys <laughs> that had 30 receiving yards or more. And if you look at the season stats, Ingram, Kirk, and Ridley are all at 47 catches or more. I mean, you talk about distribution of the football. They're taking it to another level here in Jacksonville. Well, this quarterback sees the field so well. And, and Doug was just on his news conference talking about how much he is improving. It's, it's time on task. And yes, this is his third season, but this is that moment where you go from taking what the defense gives you to dictating to the defense. And he's starting to do that. And, you know, when you take what Doug and Press and Mike McCoy are able to do with all the different weapons as the quarterback feels comfortable behind an offensive line, he was barely touched yesterday. And the only sack he's given up in the in the past two weeks was when he ran out of bounds against the Titans. So it, it's, it's a lot of different things, but it's all working to make the quarterback hyper-efficient. And if that's the way he's going to play, man, I like their chances. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He's been very sharp. And you mentioned the O-line. You know, look, when the trade deadline came and went, people were upset about the pass rush. And we'll get to that in a moment because that was a great performance by them yesterday. But the one move they did make, Brian, was Ezra Cleveland. And you're thinking at the time, all right, that's weird, but let's, let's just see what happens. And then all of a sudden Cam Robinson goes down yesterday at Houston. Walker Whittle then slides out to left, and in comes Ezra Cleveland, 42. Career starts at Minnesota, and that offensive line was nothing short of sensational in the pass game yesterday. It really shows the move Balky made at the time, people questioned it, but man alive, did it pay dividends yesterday. Well, look, for you and I and all of your listeners, it's easy to sit or to stand on the outside and look and identify a need and match it with a player at the trade deadline, right? That's what we were doing with you know Chase Young or choose the pass rusher that you were interested in. But in reality, the Jaguars on the inside know what the demands are on their salary cap, where they're going to need to be able to use draft picks and where they can afford to send draft picks. They knew that they weren't very deep on offensive line. They knew that they would need a seventh offensive lineman to be able to come in and play. And, and that Tyler Shatley, for everything he gives you in terms of break glass in case of emergency, in his 10th season, he's just not as mobile as he's been and wasn't playing as well as they wanted him to when he was at guard. So that's why they made the move and went and grabbed Ezra Cleveland for, what, a fifth, a sixth-round pick? You can do that. But with all the players the Jaguars are going to want to and need to sign in the spring and the draft picks that they didn't want to give up for a pass rusher, I think they made the smart move. Because, look, the pass rush was really, really good yesterday. I mean, really good. That quarterback made plays on the run, but he was on the run because the Jaguars forced him out of the pocket and he wasn't comfortable sitting back there. Not with Josh Allen and Trayvon coming off the edge. Not with Foley and Roy pushing the pocket and Smoot as well. They knew what this team needed, and they went and they got it. Now, back to the question about the offensive line. I talked to Jeff Loggin this morning, and he just you know shook his head when I asked him, is Ezra Cleveland their best option at left guard? He said he's the best left guard on the roster. So you know, you're going to slide Walker Little out for however long you're going to be without Cam Robinson. Walker is a tackle, right? That's what they see him as. That's what he sees himself as. Cleveland sees himself as a guard. So I think you've got a really good combination here. And, and they need to be better inside. They need to get more push off the ball 
on third down and two, which has been really difficult on this team this year. So hopefully Cleveland in the lineup gives them more push and allows them to run the ball on third and two instead of pitching it or throwing it. Because third down and two, you ought to be able to come up with those yards. A couple more for Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. Brian, you alluded to Josh Allen earlier. He was an absolute ferocious monster yesterday. Just huge sacks in the fourth quarter that really stalled what the Texans were trying to do and caused that 58-yard field goal to come up literally about a foot short there at the end of the game. Um, you know, look, for all for the lack of pass rush conversation in the offseason, Josh Allen has certainly done his part. Trayvon Walker, I think, is improving. You're starting to see guys like Roy Robertson-Harris get a little bit in the backfield as well. But clearly, Josh Allen was the absolute star of that unit yesterday. Nothing against Roy and Foley because they both are big, strong men who are pushing the pocket. But what you're seeing now is the Trayvon Walker effect. Teams are having to account for him, which is giving Roy and Foley more one-on-one matchups. They're not being doubled and they're able to slip their blocks and get into the backfield. Walker just keeps coming and coming and coming. And I know everybody wants to look at Aiden Hutchinson, but go look at his numbers. He's got five and a half sacks on the year. Trevon Walker has four and a half. Walker is getting better, and he is evolving as a player. And look, I've been trying to think of the right adjective, because when you say he's a great player, which I think he is, great is too strong of a word. He is a terrific football player, though. Is he a terrific pass rusher? Not yet, but he's coming. And when you've got to pay attention, where is 44? Man, 41 just comes at you. And Laramie Tunsil's a really good left tackle. And he played okay yesterday. It wasn't like he was dominated by Josh, but it felt like he was. I mean, with the game on the line, on the road, places screaming loud, and here comes Josh Allen, you know, in a year in which he called it a prove-it year for him. Prove it not to himself because he believes in himself, but prove it to the Jaguars how valuable he is. Oh, he earned his contract yesterday. There's no way that he is playing anywhere but Jacksonville in 2024 and beyond. I think he was trending that way, but yesterday in the fourth quarter with the sack and a half and the way that he came up big against a great left tackle, Josh Allen was the man. You've seen every quarterback sack in Jaguars history. He passed in Gakwa yesterday for second all time. Still a ways to go to get to Brackens. But do you believe Josh Allen is the second best pass rusher the Jaguars have ever had? Yeah. I do. You know, they've had some guys who have come around here and given them years. You know, Bryce Pop was a factor in 1999. Aaron Campman didn't get enough time in 2010, but you could see that if he had stayed healthy, he would have been able to do it. Hugh, you know, Hugh Douglas was in 2003, nothing at all. Uh, Calais Campbell has the best single season sack record. So when you talk about about second best pass rusher, Josh Allen is right there because I think he's going to end up with the single season record. Um, Brackens was a freak of nature, just a big, powerful man who could do a lot of different things when he was on the field. But I, I think with Josh, with a contract extension, you'll see him pass Brack and become, you know, the most prolific pass rusher. It's tough to make comparisons because Brack is different than Calais, who's built differently than Josh. But Josh is is he's right there at the top of the list. Final moments, Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. Brian, before we get to Cincinnati, the Jaguars are not exactly healthy, man. I mean, Cam Robinson left that game. Tyson Campbell didn't play. Devon Hamilton was a healthy scratch. They don't have Jamal Agnew. I mean, you're talking about impact guys from last year's roster, and they still want an enormous division game on the road. 
just certainly speaks to the overall depth of this team. Yeah, they've built a nice roster here. And, and if you're looking for reasons to be even more excited than you were yesterday, it's that Tyson Campbell could be back this week. And Devon Hamilton will be back at some point in this stretch run when the Jaguars are going to need him collapsing the pocket. I'm not sure about Agnew and his shoulder, but he's not on the season-ending IR list. So there's a possibility that you could get him back as well. Um, for all of the grief that Trent Balky took, um, he has done a really nice job with this roster there are still needs but there's always going to be needs uh there are some draft picks that don't pan out but there's always draft picks in every city that don't pan out i think you got to give the guy a lot of credit because he's got a roster you know in less than two seasons that has a shot and i emphasize it's just a shot but they have a shot at home field advantage throughout the playoffs if they take care of business here down the stretch and we have every indication to believe that they're ready to accept that challenge and take care of business down the stretch. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com here with us. Brian, that gets us to Monday night football. Look, that's going to be a desperate Cincinnati football team coming in here. Obviously, no Joe Burrow, and we understand that, but still a lot of talent. They're 5-6. and six. You look at the standings, they almost have to win this game on Monday night to stay in contention for a wild card. I like the Jaguars and the way they're playing, but clearly they're going to have to be ready to play a desperate team on Monday night. Yeah, you know, this game loses some of its luster. It was a Monday night game on the schedule because of Burrow against Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that two superstar young quarterbacks, and I love Joe Burrow. He is a lot of fun to watch when he's playing someone other than the Jaguars. Uh, that being said, their quarterback, if you give him time, there are weapons for him. Jamar Chase, uh, Boyd Higgins, even Drew Sample, the tight end with the touchdown against the Steelers, they're all capable. So if you give him the kind of time that he needs, there are guys who can help him out. And, and Joe Mixon is capable of taking over a game. If we see the Jaguars defensive front that we saw yesterday playing against the Bengals on Monday Night Football, I don't worry about him. I think this team is hyper-focused. I think they're ready to go. I, I know that the Bengals are going to be desperate, but I think that the Jaguars are more than up to the challenge of defending their home field and trying to get home field advantage. This is a team that's ready to take that next step. A win on Monday night, a convincing win, right, where it seems like they control the action, would go a long way towards getting them ready for what's going to be a tough game in Cleveland. And then the Sunday night game two weeks later against the Ravens. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, final question. The fans. You said it's been 12 years since Monday night football. A lot of fans haven't experienced Monday night football. Boy, what a scene that should be at Everbank Stadium a week from tonight. Yeah, and, and it, you know, this town, whenever the bright lights shine on it, and we saw it last year against the Titans and against the Chargers, this place goes wild. Um, it's a great scene. I expect it to be a great scene on Monday Night Football. And, you know, Sunday Night Football has kind of become that crown jewel, but that's on a day full of football. Monday still stands alone, and ESPN put a ton of money into bringing their broadcast crew, you know, Buck and Aikman together. And they put a lot of energy into their broadcast. This is a huge game for Jacksonville. And I don't have any doubt that it will show up. And as players like to say, show out. And I expect a crazy environment. It's going to be a lot of fun. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, I know you're very busy, man. Thank you for the time. We'll do it again soon, my friend. Thanks, Ryan. Always look forward to talking to you. 
Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Florida State and Louisville Saturday in the ACC championship game. A win for Florida State should, I say should, put them in the college football playoff. A loss, well, we don't really even want to discuss that, but we will discuss that and more with Logan Robinson, Noel Game Day, powered by Sports Illustrated. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Logan, how you doing? Doing great, just like I was talking to you in the production meeting there. Not used to covering a team that's undefeated and definitely this magnitude of getting one more win or not giving you the chance into getting to the ACC, or should I say the college football playoff. It's a good time, Tallahassee. It's been a great year for the Knowles, no question about that. Obviously 12-0, and 0, you can't get much better. Logan Tate Rodemaker, your thoughts on his performance Saturday night in Gainesville? I'll tell you what, I was there, and as maybe a, a few of the beat members know around the area in Florida, the swamp press box is outside. So you're hearing everything the atmosphere, the crowd, the fans, the band, everything. And for Tate Rodemaker's second start going into a swamp, a lively one, very loud. I, I was impressed. You know, there are some things that, of course, you want to fix, and you can tell early on that not a lot of chemistry had been built with those number one uh, guys where Jordan Travis had such great chemistry last couple of years. He had to build that pretty quickly, and it took two quarters until that last drive there where they were able to put up some serious points. And throughout the rest of the game, I thought that he felt a bit more composed. There's definitely some times where he doesn't understand that there is pressure and you know, there were some times, too, where Florida State's offensive line lacked in some ways and allowing, uh, you know, obviously that big hit on Rodemaker from behind somehow held on to that ball. But for the most part, for going through that situation and on a week, on a short week notice to have to go in, make sure that you're going to build an offense around Tate Rodemaker. I thought Norvell, Coach Tokars, Florida State's quarterbacks coach, and Rodemaker did the best that they could going into an environment, which we saw across college football rivalry weekend. You never know what could, what to expect. Logan Robinson of Noel Game Day. That's a part of Sports Illustrated. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Logan, the offense has gotten the attention all year, and with good reason, right? Jordan Travis up until the injury, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson. I mean, go on down the line. Yet, my gracious, that defense has been nothing short of superb all year long with Deloach and obviously Jared Verse and uh, Peyton and all the bodies they can just throw at you. Speak to that defense. They were dominant again on Saturday. I'm glad you're bringing up the defense, Ryan, because I want to give a lot of credit to Adam Fuller. I've been doing that the last, I'd say, month or two really throughout this season because of the production that that side of the ball has done. And, yes, the highlighted guys – the star players, maybe more offensively, getting more attention on that on that side of the ball. That's like when you had JT, you have Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman. Those guys are going to get the attention. But when you look on the defense, there's talent there as well. And, you know, they just stayed consistent. And the second half being, uh, being very smart on their adjustments. And Adam Fuller and Coach Sertan, too, the first-year defensive backs coach for Florida State, has really done a stellar job in his first season. And what is crazy is that Coach Sertan, specifically going into next year, has an even greater amount of younger talent coming in. And 
it, it just goes to show too what Florida State was able to do in the transfer portal, picking up Braden Fisk to add on to that inside interior. You still have Daryl Jackson, which after the ACC championship game, if Florida State makes it to the college football playoff, they'll have Daryl Jackson, expected to have Daryl Jackson uh, available to play the Miami defensive tackle transfer. So there's even more weapons that they can add to that side of the ball. But Kalen Deloach has been stellar at the linebacker position. You look over to uh, across, you know, the, the even the defensive back room, you're looking over at Shaheen Brown. Akeem Dent has, I thought, is having a really good season overall as well. And then you've got Renardo Green, who, yeah, maybe not the most consistent player this year, but overall a really solid cornerback uh, that, that's that's having a nice season as well. So it, they, they've done a good job. And, you know, there's still this guy named Jared Burst that when you need him the most, he is going to step up and make those plays. Mike Norvell, the absolute king of the transfer portal, no question about that. All right, Logan, let's turn our attention to Saturday with Louisville. Uh, I don't think it was a good thing necessarily that Kentucky knocked off Louisville. I think if you would have had a battle of top 10 teams, that would help everything all the way around. Louisville does lose. You wonder where they're going to be at mentally, losing to their in-state rival. We know Florida State, the second start for Tate Rodemaker. What's your thought on this game coming up on Char- in Charlotte on Saturday night? This one I have been keeping a close eye on since we were trying to figure out who Florida State was going to be facing um, up there. And Charlotte keeping an eye out on a few teams. And Louisville was sticking around, sticking around, and sticking around. And so be it. It was them. And, you know, all along we were thinking that this would be maybe a potential rematch during the offseason of Florida State versus Clemson. Uh, and then that team, you know, vying for a college football playoff spot. But now Florida State just needs that one more win. And, you know, I look back to at Rodemaker. There's a question asked from the beat on Monday to Mike Corbell asking, you know, Rodemaker has faced a Louisville team before. He did that last year. He came in as a backup, threw an interception, then responded and played very well. But this is a different team. Yes, different team, different coaches. There's not much you can expect and just go into it lollygagging around. And that's definitely what Mike Norbell addressed, that you know, no matter what Tate Rodemaker did last year, things are going to change on this, on this uh, defense for Louisville. And to me, you go into the same mindset. You know, it's not going to be as hostile as it was in the swamp on Saturday night when you're in Gainesville. But still, nonetheless, you're on the road, neutral site, you're going to have your Florida State fans there, but obviously you're going to have some Louisville Cardinals fans as well. Stay composed, and, you know, the biggest thing for Florida State, if that defense can stay stellar, can it, if it continues to stay consistent, Louisville shouldn't be able to put up a whole ton of points, whereas on the other side, Florida State, if needed, you know, they can put up at least, you know, 24, 27, something like that. I think Florida State can leave Charlotte with a win and stay undefeated going 13-0. Logan Robinson is the founder of Noel Game Day. That is under the Sports Illustrated umbrella, and he's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, Logan, so there's a lot of aspects of this game. Let's begin with the absolute worst-case scenario. If Louisville wins on Saturday and Florida State finishes 12-1, and failure, disappointment, how, how would you classify it? Nah, it's a good question. I think I'd be almost in the neutral range. Obviously, if Florida State has Jordan Travis, major disappointment in my eyes, just the amount of talent that has been brought in through the transfer portal and also develop some youngsters too playing well this season. Just overall, it would be a dis- dis- much disappointing if uh, Jordan Travis was out there. But with Rodemaker, I think FSU fans 
understand that if there were to be a loss, that uh, just bad luck. Now that, that you know, it, it's something where you lost your starting quarterback in North Alabama in a freak tackle and freak accident uh, that caused him to you know miss the remainder of the season and has got to go through a big time recovery road. But to me, you know, a, a loss is definitely still it, it is disappointing. But I think Florida State fans maybe are just going into it expecting you know some of these bigger players outside of outside of you know Tate Rodemaker some of these guys have to step up and definitely defensively and offensively these stars have to show up and they did that in the swamp your your biggest stars coming through and making some plays but you know it, it can't all be relied on on Rodemaker but a win a win on the other side though whew, it, it sure does bring a lot of excitement back to where Florida State has had, you know, all these sold-out games, FSU fans compiling into Doe Campbell Stadium all throughout the season. You see that same kind of energy, and you take that into the college football playoffs. And, you know, to me, that right there, it's just icing on the cake if you make it to the playoffs. There is a narrative out there, and I'm curious from a guy that covers Florida State to get your thoughts on it. I'm looking at the most chaotic situation imaginable for FSU, and to me, it would almost be very simple in the amount of chaos it would cause. If Washington wins, they're in. As the Pac-12 champion, they would have the resume to be in. If Michigan wins, they're obviously in as the Big Ten champion. Two of the spots are gone. And to me, this is very simple. If Alabama beats Georgia and Florida State beats Louisville – you would think Alabama would go as the one-loss SEC champion, and then the committee is going to ask themselves, all right, undefeated Florida State is obviously the most deserving to go, but are they better than the back-to-back national champions who lose by a field goal? What's your reaction to people that are saying Florida State may not be a shoe-in even if they win on Saturday night? Well, I sort of understand the argument. This is all plagued on – Jordan Travis not playing for Florida State, but you can't go in and say, okay, you have the you have the backup. You've seen Rodemaker play last year, and then you go into the swamp. You win with him, and you go and beat a number, let's say top top twenty team in Louisville. We'll see how much they drop later tonight. But does that happen to be a situation where you're just dropping Florida State? because of Jordan Travis not being out there. And I don't think that is something that you can do. And you can go back to the Ohio State argument and their quarterback situation early on in the college football playoff era and them making a run with the backup. And then, you know, Florida State, too, I think in their, in their case, they've done everything that they've needed to do. They've ran to the ACC. They beat the heck out of LSU to begin the season, destroyed and, and, and handled the Heisman favorite for this upcoming trophy. Um, you know, they, they've done everything that they've needed to do on their resume. And the good thing about it, if you just want to stress so much about Florida State not having Jordan Travis out there and you want to drop him, look at how much talent is surrounding Tate Rodemaker, at least if you want to talk specifically defensively. They've also done everything on their sheet. They've checked all the boxes to be a college football playoff defense. It just is really coming down to an argument at the, at the quarterback position. And like I said, too, if Florida State makes it to that playoff, you're adding in an additional fully healthy uh, Daryl Jackson, who, from what I've heard from practices every week throughout camp, I saw him in person. He might be the most talented overall defensive tackle in that room. You're bringing in a fresh 
Daryl Jackson into wherever you're going, New Orleans or Pasadena. There's a lot of things that should go in Florida State's favor to not allow them to get knocked off. I think Florida State, if that scenario were to happen, I think they move in that two to three notch and you put uh, Bam at four. Logan, as we wrap up, can they beat Georgia and then maybe Michigan 10 days later with Tate Rodemaker? Woo! It would be a very hard task if I were to say now. I would uh, pick Florida State to narrowly lose that one. Um, but, you know, I, I think Georgia's a, a tough team to beat in Michigan as well. If I were to pick, though, if, I, if, if I'm a Florida State fan and if I had to pick one of those to face, I would go with uh, Michigan. Yeah, I agree. Georgia looks very good. We'll see what happens against Alabama. And I didn't even mention Texas. Texas is screaming down here in the Big 12. But wait a minute. If Alabama beats Georgia – we win the Big 12, we have one loss, and we beat Alabama, who would have one loss. It'll be some interesting stuff the last year of the four-team playoff. Again, Logan Robinson here with us. Logan, tell Seminole fans in Jacksonville about Noel Game Day and what they can expect when they head on over to the website. Absolutely. We've got tons of coverage right now. We've had the most active users uh, on our site in the last month or two. It's been a fun, fun season to cover. This team is really uh, been really, I would say, the most intriguing to be around just because of Mike Norvell's energy and the high expectations that they're trying to hold on to. But uh, you can find us at nolgameday.com. We're also on Twitter or X and Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, everything imaginable. We're on all socials and we're also on YouTube. We do a show on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock previewing the game and then we'll have instant reactions from on-site in the stadium, giving our thoughts, of course, this upcoming Saturday when we're in Charlotte for Florida State versus Louisville. So tons of content there on our YouTube at Noble Game Day. So, appreciate you as always having me, Ryan. There you go. Logan Robinson, the founder of Noel Game Day, which is powered by Sports Illustrated. Logan, appreciate it, brother. We'll do it again soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your week. And thank you to Logan Robinson of Noel Game Day that is powered by Sports Illustrated for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as Florida State looks to cap off a perfect 13-0 season tomorrow night in the ACC championship game against Louisville. Will that be good enough to get them into the college football playoff? They would certainly be one of the four most deserving. Are they one of the four best after the injury to Jordan Travis? That would be for the committee to decide if Florida State does win tomorrow evening. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly thank you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, thank you to Logan Robinson of Noel Game Day. Thank you to Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com for stopping by to preview the Cincinnati game on Monday night. Ben Lindsay of PFF Pro Football Focus Broke down the numbers on the Jaguars and the rest of the AFC South. And former Jaguar defensive back Aaron Beasley stopped by in hour number one. And we certainly appreciate Bees taking time out for us this evening. Now, obviously no fifth quarter on Sunday. We'll have scheduled programming on Monday beginning at 6 a.m. on the drill. The next time I will join you will be on the fifth quarter. That's right. We're going to be on the fifth quarter uh, two hours after the Jaguars and the Bengals go final into the early morning hours on Tuesday. Hopefully, 
Hopefully we're talking about a win. It would be a lot of fun to talk about a win at 1.30 in the morning. I'm not sure how much fun it would be to talk about a loss, but we will have the fifth quarter for you after the Jaguars and the Bengals on Monday night here on 1010XL. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us here on a Friday and for joining us all week long here on Hacker After Dark. And as always, we certainly appreciate it. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific weekend. Enjoy championship Saturday in the world of college football and enjoy a big NFL Sunday. And we will get you ready for Jaguars game day Monday morning beginning at 6 a.m. leading into the Jaguars and the Bengals. The first time Monday night football has been in Jacksonville in 12 years. It should be quite the day on Monday. Until then, have an absolutely fantastic weekend, Jacksonville.